I'm Carla with Race to Walk, and these are just some thoughts on a Sunday. And what I do on these weekly updates is I, I just share a few few thoughts for the week, and then also I give an update on uh, where we're, we are at in helping some Afghan Christians in their uh, immigration journey um, escaping the Taliban. So I got involved in this. Um, actually, I started helping my friend Mark Ritchie teach slides teach uh, Bible studies in Pakistan via Zoom. Um, I started doing that in October of 2021. He had been doing that for a year already and uh, during that time um, some Afghan Christians came into those Bible studies and then last October in 2022 um, things got Things had been pretty serious for them, but they got even more intense because the Pakistani government was getting really, um, uh, I don't even know the word, um, they were doing what they could to restrict Afghans from coming in, for making it difficult for Afghan refugees that were in the country, as well as support who they could. And so we began doing what we could to try to help them with their situation. and. Um, during that time, one of Mark's friends, Don, um, came in and said he would help us. Um, he has a ministry at donshireministries.org. And um, if you know people donate to his ministry and select Race to Walk, then uh, that will be uh, donated to um, helping our, our people that are um, in Pakistan. Most of them are in Pakistan right now. So we've had a few people that have started moving out to other areas. But anyway, that's what these updates are. I started doing updates in the apologetics group that I'm in. And uh, so they were people that I know from the apologetics program that I went through at HPU. They were actually the first people that were helping me in this um, whole endeavor. And so I would give them these weekly updates and I had uh, several people that sent money to help get like exit permits and um, get babies birth certificates and things like that. And so this is a list of some of the, the people that were helping me to begin with. Um, the people that I know from an unexpected journal, uh, the, the alumni from that apologetics program, people from my Bible cities and people in that I know from some um, efforts in our local area and school district and then also my friend Leslie who uh, I took Hebrew classes from her and um, she's actually helping me hey how are you she's actually helping me um, with uh, teach some of the Afghan kids right now so anyway she meets with them on zoom but um, and also um, some ladies at the the nest here in Kingwood they were some of the first people that were uh, praying for our people and um, also donated and so anyway they've been supporters so that is what the updates are because I thought you know I need to just share updates generally not just in that Facebook group with my apologetics people and so that's what these are and it also kind of helps me remember where we're at <laughs> because it's a lot it also keeps me from doing like an information dump to just random people I know because there's just like so much going on so the topic of today's um, stream is hope is not delusion. And this kind of goes both ways. So I actually have done several Bible studies on the topic of hope. And there is a, um, on my website at racetowalk.org, I, I have a page. Uh, it's racetowalk.org uh, slash kabul-hope. And there is a page that has kind of a collection of all these updates and all a lot of resources uh, um, and information about this effort. And for the article on this particular episode, um, I or for this this stream, um, I'm going to have links to those other Bible studies that I've did about that I've done about hope. But what I have found as I was doing these different Bible studies that there's actually a number of different words in Hebrew that are translated as hope. In, um, in English. And the type of hope that we're to have, it's not like a ungrounded hope. It's one that is supposed to be, uh, it's rooted in reason. It's rooted in seeing what has come before and knowing that you can trust in God for bringing about what is going to come. And so um, 
hope isn't delusion. It's it's to have it's connected with faith. You have to have and faith is is really a trust that commits. It's knowing that recognizing what that um, what God has done for you in the past and believing that He will continue to uh, be the God that He has been in the past and follow through on His promises and. Um, continue to uh, bring us through the situations. And the last couple of days I've been thinking a lot about um, just what this whole, <laughs> this whole endeavor really has been for me because, you know, I've, I've been involved in a lot of bigger projects and a lot of times I've, I, I realized that uh, I probably took too much of a burden um, in what I was doing and really like operating and striving rather than recognizing, okay, especially in this, I, I, this has been, have, this has been what this has been teaching me because when I got involved in this, I knew that there was no way personally that I could do this. Like I, when I started this and this was, uh, I felt was filling in for Mark with these classes they had all these questions. I didn't have any answers for them because I, uh, my background is in business. I do marketing. I have a master's in apologetics, international relations, and immigration is like totally, totally out of my wheelhouse. I don't know anything about this. And so I told them in the beginning, you know, this, I don't know the answers. I, I don't know the options, but I can ask questions. And you know, that's what I promised. I said, I'll look for an answer for you and I'll ask questions. But I told them I don't have I don't have any special connections. I don't have I don't know anything about this. I'm actually actually have a lot of cool connections now, but at the time I didn't. And so I knew at the very beginning it's like it's going to have to be God bringing all this about because I cannot do this. I cannot do this. And so just the connections that came were just so um some of them just out of the blue, it's just completely out of the blue. I'm like, okay, this is God bringing this about. And so I know this from the beginning, but then I get to a point where we're getting movement and I'm seeing these things work out. And then I start kind of falling into this, this trap of feeling like I have to strive to make it happen. It doesn't mean you don't do, you do, but it's like you do the next thing and it's really, it's kind of difficult for me, especially when you see the, the horrible, horrible situation that everybody is in. It's really hard not to um, start feeling anxious about it and feeling and feeling like it's a hard thing. You have to be persistent. But there's a difference between, you know, being persistent and pushing through and thinking that the burden of it all is on you. And that's a crazy thing because, you know, I'm not, um, <laughs> I don't control that. So, but the other thing, the flip side of it is sometimes people uh, say they have hope and they're just being delusional, right? So they have hope for something where there's no, no um, reason to have hope for it. And so that is something that we also need to recognize. You know, I remember the very beginning of the pandemic, I actually have a Bible study on this exact thing, you know, where I say hope is not delusion. So this lady was, uh, it was on Facebook. She was, it was talking about the pandemic and she's like, oh, well, this is just, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just going to go away and, you know, whatever. And it's like hope, you can't be delusional about things. It, hope is if you're denying the reality of the situation around you, you're not being hopeful. You're being delusional. That is not, that's not what hope is. Hope is not delusion. And so just because you want something to be true doesn't mean that it necessarily will be. And there are a lot of people that had hopes that COVID was just going to disappear that are dead now because they placed their hope in the wrong people and they had faith in the wrong people, people who were lying to them about things. And so it's, it's not that it's, we have to recognize when the, the Bible tells us to be hopeful. It doesn't mean just make up a scenario in your head and this is what's going to happen. It means 
it has to be grounded in reality. Faith is grounded in, um, it's about knowing, recognizing what God has done, recognizing what he does. So sometimes I think it's easy to think that we've brought about an effort and um, really it's the goodness of God, it's the grace of God that's brought that about in our life. So when we don't recognize um, things that uh, God has done for us and recognize um, that it is the providence of God and the grace of God that's brought about the circumstances in our life, we think we, we've done it and we deserve, we deserve it. And so we think we don't recognize the goodness and we think we can, it's all on us. Then also that kind of erodes our ability to have faith because we're not recognizing the thing that God did in the past. We think it's us. So we think it all has to be our effort, right? And we have to be able to recognize when God moves and the things he does and to give him credit for those things. Um, versus you know, we, we persist through, we trust in him, we persist in the path where he leads us, and that's what hope is. It's that he will bring us through it, not that um, we're deluded into something that uh, is just, you know, not even based in reality. And as far as, like, the, the situation with immigration, this is, you know, I've had people tell me it's impossible, and the thing is, you know, these are not impossible things. Getting people from Islamabad to the U.S. is not an impossible thing. People do that every day. We just have to have permission to do it, right? And this is not an impossible thing. People are immigrating. It's just, it's, uh, it, it's not necessarily always fair who's getting the, the yeses. It's not necessarily fair about who is getting um, priority. And so it takes persistence to bring those things about. So I, this is the, th the thing for this week. Um, we've had issues about passports because we have a lot of kids that do not have passports. Um, we have some adults that don't have passports too. And so I've been told that there are bi non-biometric passports that can be gotten in the, at the embassy in Afghanistan. Um, with non-biometric passports, they can only do land crossings. I've been told they can immigrate on them, but the, um, they can't fly out of Kabul with, with a non-biometric passport. So if they're in another country, Theoretically, they could use those biometric passports to fly out. The passport office in Afghanistan was closed for, I think, four or five months. The only, there were passports being issued, but they were basically, you know, backstreet dealings with the Taliban, which, call it the Taliban referral, whatever. And that's still going on. But um, the thing about the non-biometric passports was that like, how do you test whether they're real or not? Because there's a lot of fake documents over there. And there's story after story of um, Afghans trying, you know, getting to the airport. I mean, this would be the absolute worst thing ever to finally get a visa to leave. And then get getting to the airport and being arrested because your passports aren't valid. Um, we had someone that they were going to be researching, like the, getting a non-biometric passport and... He said that he knew somebody that got the um, got one of those non-biometric passports for his kids. They went to the to the airport in Islamabad to leave, and the passports for his kids weren't valid, and so they uh, their visas their Pakistan visas were canceled. I don't know about the, obviously they have to invalid status in Pakistan to even leave out of the airport, and. Uh, I think their IDs are blacklisted from, so I don't even know what all happened. So it's a big deal. And I, so I'm like, how do we test whether these are true? Is there a way to test them? It's the last thing we want is the number one. You know, we don't have money to spend on fake documents. And the last thing we want is for somebody, like after all this effort, to get to the airport and get arrested just as they think they're leaving. 
So um, that's been the dilemma. And then the passport office is opened in Afghanistan in March, beginning of March. But they have to, for the official process, they have to file online and then they have to wait. And there's only a certain number of, of applications that are processed each month in each province. And so we had some people that filed in January that are supposed to be coming up for an appointment to get them in July. But you have to go to Afghanistan to get them. And then to get back, obviously, you have to have visas to get into Pakistan. So it's a whole big thing. I was explaining, like, there was a, a guy with two children that needed visas or passports for his kids. And so to get guaranteed passports, you still have to get that Taliban referral. They're uh, $1,500 in, in this one province um, to be able to get a guaranteed referral from somebody that was considered a safe person where you would actually get valid passports. So this is an expedited process where you can get them in six days rather than waiting months. And um, so just talking about getting passports for two kids, that's, you know, like with the passports, with the travel, with getting visas to get back into Pakistan is like over $10,000. So this has been the dilemma. This is what we've been looking at. And so we're like, why, if, if we got an out, like, what are we going to do about passports? So then I heard from a couple sources that the U.S. Embassy actually is issuing travel documents if people don't have them. That's amazing. Then this, this has been a dilemma all this time, all this discussion about it. And Monday, uh, the person that had the two kids, because I'm like, these are the options. You either try to get the one-time travel documents from the embassy, or you're going to have to go back to Afghanistan, because it looks like these these non-biometric passports aren't valid. So these are, I mean, I don't see any other option here. So he goes into the Afghanistan embassy in Islamabad, and there are travel documents issued by the Afghan government, the Afghan embassy, and they're eighty dollars for kids, and that I guess I'm not even sure what the age is up to. I'm thinking, this, why didn't this come up all this all this time? Why didn't this come up? So this was something, and then <laughs> I'm told by somebody else that they they have a contact to get biometric passports from the Afghanistan embassy, and he tells me they don't want it to be public. Okay, and then he says if they have if we get an organization to contact the Afghan embassy in Islamabad as a, and for a group of people that they can get it just, they'll just do it for the regular price. I said, he said, it can't be a Christian organization. And I said, well, what about like a veteran? I said, he's like, no, no military, no, no Christian organization. So I have to look to see if I can find another organization that kind of can help us facilitate this to get passports. So this looks like this is an option, not having to go back to Afghanistan, which would be completely amazing. So, you know, this, these are things I've been stressing out over all this, and, and like I didn't bring this about. I mean, people are just kind of going and asking questions. And so, I mean, this is part, one of the examples of, you know, ways are being open that didn't seem like there was before, because I've been told multiple times before that, that there was no exceptions to that everybody, everybody, even babies had to have passports to be able to be processed on like SIV applications and like if the humanitarian parole pass, the P1, P2 pass, they're not even being processed at all. So it's kind of like a, like not even a discussion right now, but um, that wasn't necessarily true. You know, things change. And so that's part of the, the thing that's kind of confusing about this is like, what things can be true at one point and then things change. Like, for example, like Welcome Corps wasn't announced until January and we had no way that that was coming. Um, I had was told uh, back in October that there was only this one limited program in Canada that didn't require UNHCR certifications, um, refugee certifications. And I come to find out later that that program was filled even before uh, it was announced. But that's changed since then. 
um, one of our people told me that there's another path too to Canada. And so these it's kind of these these ways opening that's going is going slow. But then this week, the other thing is that um, I got a contact from someone who is in our group. This is a guy, this is like back when I started doing these live streams, I was talking about this guy who he'd gotten, brought all his kids, he had been in Islamabad, I think since 2021, but he brought all his kids over. And then like, this is like late last year when Pakistan really wasn't issuing visas to Af to Afghans. He, and there was a whole thing, like the passports and stuff, is like a whole thing. And so just last year he got passports for all his kids. He got visas for all his kids, one year family visas to come to Pakistan. And then he got, this is like the real zinger. In February, he, he had gotten um, the UNHCR certification for himself in, I think it was November of 2021, which isn't totally unusual. Um, they were originally processing these um, refugee certifications, but when it looks to me like when the U.S. closed the door to um, Afghan applications being processed, that also at the same time, the UNHCR certifications, they stopped giving them out because Pakistan doesn't want more refugees. So it would be one thing if the U.S. was actually processing and getting people moved, but they're not really. It's a complete joke, the what they're doing, and so they um, they just haven't been giving the certifications. So anyway, that he got it in November wasn't completely unusual, but what was just ultimate shocker was that in February of this year, when his kids got here, he got UNHCR certifications for them as well, like certificates in hand. Because we have other people who have said that they're going to be relocated. They've been to multiple interviews, but they haven't gotten the cert certificates. And he got all that. And I was like, who is this guy? And how did he get this? And this is the one where he has this, he has this uh, kind of like, this is what I want to do. This is my history. Um, and he's done all these different jobs, like purchasing and everything. But he um, he doesn't really consider those real jobs. He was a barber, and he had a chicken farm in Masara Sharif. He is literally, oh, so this is what happened this week. He tells me he has a referral, to, he's getting referred to Germany by UNHCR, which is also, like, another complete and total miracle. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, how did he make this happen? I've told one of our other people in our group, because he was talking, this other person was talking about Canadian options. And I said, you need to talk to this guy, Kadeem. You need to talk to him because he's the only person that I know in our group that has gotten certificates in hand after 2021. You need to talk to him. Like, you need to learn what he knows. What is he doing to make this happen? Usually there's this whole translation thing. And I've, I've asked people, how did this happen? He just said, well, I keep complaining. And then they do it. I'm thinking, what the heck? But this guy, this Kadeem, he's the one that sends me people all the time. So this is what I'm thinking. You know, he's, this is a crazy thing. We have people in our group that have worked for the Afghan government. High up in the Afghan government, that, like they had positions where they have you know special passports that are uh, now no good because they're expired and can't be renewed. Um, we have people that have worked with multiple like agencies, high-ranking agencies and NATO allies, and they're all stuck. And the only, the only guy who is really getting it out in a way is this, is this barber. And I think what it is is he's a, I don't know, I mean just from the people he refers to me, I think he just talks to people and helps people where he can. And uh, I think that is uh, that's the secret. I think. I don't know. And he's just, he's a connector. And so his connections have, I, I really want to know how he got that referral. But um, anyway, I'm like, hey, Kadeem. He said, he like prayed, like prayed for all the people that 
uh, all the believers that God would help them. Like, yes, I receive that blessing. You pray for me anytime and I'll receive it because this, he, I can't even explain to you what a level of, oh my goodness, I can't believe this just happened was. It doesn't sound like it should be a big deal because things are just, in his situation, things are just working the way it should be, but it is, let me tell you. So that was, that was this week. Also, I'm going to do an update. I guess I'm doing this a little backwards of what I normally do, but I'm going to do, do an update on like what's been going on in Afghanistan. The other thing I saw was kind of funny this week. I had, I have some kids that I've been reading with and they wanted more classes because they haven't been in school since, you know, actually since the pandemic. And so I have some friends that have been helping. Uh, one was a, a friend of a friend from my apologetics program and an expected journal. The other one was a friend that I have here, my friend Leslie. And then I also, because the, the thing is they're 10 hours ahead. And so it gets a little tricky with timing because either people can't be working, you know, for most people, or it has to be weekends and, or they have to, the person that's here has to be willing to be up late at night. And then the kids have to get up early just because of the timing. So, I asked uh, a contributor to the journal, Sonia Howard, um, an expected journal. She lives in Australia. And I thought, I don't know, she just seemed like she had the kind of vibe that might be somebody that would be willing to do this. So I sent her an email, told her what I was doing, asked her if she'd be willing to teach the kids. And she did. She said, yes. So she's, we're 10 hours behind them. She's five hours ahead. So she meets with them on Thursday. And uh, so I got, got a message from, uh, one of the kids this week, and she said, you know, since you got Sonia for, she sent me a, a link to some Turkish classes, and she said, you found Sonia for us in Australia. You can find a Turkish teacher for us. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So, actually, I might be able to because another contributor to an unexpected journal, uh, Ted Wright, he has done, like, gone on archaeological digs in, in expeditions in Turkey, and he has friends there, and so... I sent him a message. I said, hey, Ted, a screenshot of the message, too, from um, <laughs> with the request. I said, do you know anybody that can is willing to teach uh, Turkish to some of my Afghan kids? And I'll have to follow up with them because I know, I know <laughs> she would be following up with me to see if I can find somebody for them. So anyway, that was this week. But as far as... Um, uh, this is the thing. It's like hope is tied to persistence. That's another Bible study I have there. So um, this is uh, this has all been a lesson. But I am, uh, just for what was going on, what has been going on this week, there was, what's the first one I have here? Okay. So I mentioned a few weeks ago that it, things had gotten really intense in Pakistan for the Afghans. It, uh, Pakistan poli Pakistani police were doing door-to-door -door searches that they were arresting people that had um, had about visas UNHCR certificates and um, so and, and that was true that was all true that was so there was a report that came out with Amnesty International um, this is a, another story that came out um, sorry a second this last week and uh, there was a guy that had gotten evacuated to Germany, but his family was still in Afghanistan, so he went back, and then he was killed by the Taliban. So this is a situation a lot of people have been in. Um, you know, it's so, sometimes they leave and they hope to be able to bring their family there, and sometimes they can't do that, and so this is just uh, a real, um, it's a real difficult situation for a lot of people. Uh, this is a an article or an update that someone um, sent me. It's in Persian, um, the article itself. But um, there was a college student here. He had been a college student at Kabul University, and uh, he committed suicide by throwing himself off a six-story building and. He was waiting for his uh, P2 uh, application to be processed. So there's 
the SIV for for the Afghans that are trying to find a path out, at least for to the U.S. There's the SIV applications, which are special immigration visas. Those are for like interpreters or people who worked um, for the U.S. government or military, or if they worked on government-funded projects directly on them. Um, we have some people that worked on space project that was funded by the government. So they have an SIV application submitted because of that and have people that worked um, like in a logistics company for the U.S. government. And so, I mean, it was an Afghan company, but it, they did, you know, did work for the, they're basically U.S. contractors. And so that's one path. Then there's, if they come on the special immigration visa, then that will give them a path to citizenship. The other path is, um, like if you see people mentioning the P1 or P2 paths, they are um, referrals into for humanitarian parole. And if they get the humanitarian parole, that's just a visa to come here, and then they also have to apply for asylum. So the whole process, they still have a big, another big long process after that. The humanitarian parole, um, applications have not, they basically haven't been moved. I don't know what the number is now. After the first year, it was something like 132 had been approved. Um, and that was out of, I can't remember the number. I think it was like six, 7,000 that had been processed and the vast majority of them were denied. The majority of the ones that had been approved at that point were just congressional pullouts. So people said, hey, bring this person over, and that's how they got here. Um, I think that number is up to something like 700 now. So they're basically not processing them. And um, I shared in the earlier update that there had been an investigation into those cases, and um, there were, uh, they got emails and a Freedom of Information request that uh, said that that show that they literally deliberately stopped processing um, Afghan humanitarian parole applications in about, I don't know, it was, I think it was like September, October, 2021. So <clears throat> um, it's just been, it's just inexcusable, like our lack of movement on it. I mean, if you're not going to process them, then just say that because they actually charge $575 per person, not per family, per person for those applications. So the U.S. has collected millions of dollars in application fees, and it looks to me like they have no intention of actually following through, making good on any of the promises that they made. So at least that's the way it's looking at right now. Um, I shared um, a... Uh, podcast last week of Generation Jihad. I actually had a chance to listen to a couple of the, the episodes and oh my goodness, it is like that was an education listening to that podcast. They, um, it's published by the, uh, the publishers of the Longmore Journal. They started this podcast in um, March of 2020, so just a few weeks after the Doha Agreement. And I listened to, the one episode I listened to, it was about the uh, recent UN report that was talking about how the Taliban were sponsoring Al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups. And then um, I went back and listened to the very first episode, and that was like a complete, that was an education. You should go back and listen to episode one, because they were saying, this is going, they're talking about the Doha agreement. And they're like, this is going to be bad. You know, if we're wrong about this, we'll eat our words, but this is not going to end well. And um, also listen to the last one where they were talking about, you know, just it, it's, it's well known that the Taliban are hand in glove with Al Qaeda. And listening to that podcast, it was, I was just like, oh my goodness, I need to like draw a picture and diagram this out because it was, take some notes because there's just so much information there. I'm going to try to listen through um, an episode when I'm walking and try to absorb some things, but uh, 
it's unbelievable what we've done. It's absolutely unbelievable. I actually went and um, read the Doha agreement and they said it's only three pages. And in the Doha agreement, it says that the United States will refrain, refrain from threat or the use of force against territor the territorial integrity or political independence of Afghanistan or interfering in its domestic affairs. And so my thought is, well, what does that mean? And it also commits to sending support to them. So we are actually sending, we've been, I read a couple of different places that we're sending $40 million every two weeks to Afghanistan. So we are financially supporting the Taliban. So when you see things that are Taliban, the Taliban are doing, you can just, like, they're getting, they're being supported by, by us. And then um, they were, it, it was just so crazy. And so does this intervening with in domestic affairs, does this include not allowing people, Afghans to immigrate? Is, is that what the stick is? Because there are um, parts of the Doha agreement that are secret, that even the special committee that's um, responsible for overseeing what goes in Afghanistan, that SIGR, the Special Inspector General for Afghan Reconstruction, they don't know what's in it either. So what's the deal with that? Is is that why they're not being processed? I don't know. I was talking um, a few few uh, updates ago about you know, the fact that the person who was in charge of the embassy in Afghanistan at the time of the fall was Ross Wilson, who is a career diplomat. Like what a complete rodeo, it, goat rodeo it was. Um, there was a, like a COVID like swept through the embassy right before that. He was, it looks like he might've had COVID at the time of the fall. So, you know, when you look at the cognitive uh, problems that COVID causes, this is, this is why it was this, why it was such a mess because people couldn't think straight. That was for the withdrawal. But then, and I've seen this guy's name in different articles, like trying to whitewash the Taliban. So Zalmay Kalazad was uh, one of the authors of the Doha Agreement, along with Mike Pompeo. And he, if you, if you watch different articles that are talking about justification of backing the Taliban, um, he, a lot of times, he'll be a co-author on them. So he's going full force, like, you know, justifying the Taliban, basically, oh yeah, they're they're okay, they're good guys, and it's not true. Uh, this is the Long World Journal, the the publication of um, that publishes that Generation Jihad podcast. They wrote this, and they were like, this is a response to some of his uh, because there was a report that came out that said that the Taliban are harboring terrorists and they're allowing. Um, like Al-Qaeda to build force. They're actually, Al-Qaeda members are actually in the Taliban government. They're hand in glove. And one of the agreements, the justification is that the Taliban would be their support or they're um, helping them in counterterrorism. They're terrorists. They're terrorists. One of the things the host of that podcast said is that no deal with the Taliban is better than a bad deal. He said, we did not need to have, have a treaty with them he said it was a withdrawal agreement, and um, he said that we didn't need to have their permission to leave. We could have just left. But instead, we promised all these things to them and got nothing in return. We actually made the Taliban's position stronger by releasing 5,000 uh, Taliban terrorists from jail. Um, we made, I mean, all these agreements with them, and it was it was beyond a loser deal because we got, we got nothing. We got nothing. It was a complete debacle. And so that it hurts somebody's ego does not change reality. It, it doesn't. And there have been, I'm not sure which one that it was. I don't know if I have one on this. Oh yeah. I'll go down here. Um, so this is, this is a uh, an article that um, Al Qaeda has training camps in Afghanistan, and you know there 
Sigur is also warning it against this. And there's been so many different articles that uh, and people saying that you know they, that ISIS and uh, Al Qaeda are preparing for another strike against the West. And I actually had somebody um, that has been helping us in this whole journey that told me this a couple months ago. It, he told me that there had been not just one or two terrorist groups, but that there's like 20 terrorist, terrorist groups now. We, we've made it just basically a haven for terrorist groups in Afghanistan. And he said that they all got together and they were planning an attack, like another 9-11. And this isn't multiple, multiple sources have been saying this. The UN has been saying this. The uh, Sigur has been saying this. These analysts all over have been saying this. And so if there's another attack here in the U.S. like 9-11, nobody better act surprised because people have been saying this is going to happen since 2021. And especially since the beginning of this year, they've been saying, you know, this is, this is a possibility. And so, again, this goes back to you. You may have hoped that the Taliban would change if they were in charge, but they did not. Okay. And if you continue to hope that, that's just delusion. That's delusion. They've shown who they are. They've shown who they are. They're terrorists. They're thugs. It's not going to change. So this is the other thing I thought was very interesting. Let's see. Oh, so it's not just us. I guess the UN is appointing Taliban apologists. I mean, there's these people that like want to push, you know, accepting the Taliban. So that there's nothing required for the horrific things that they're doing. Like if, if we are we recognize the Taliban as their terrorists. They're uh, just do some of the most horrific um, human rights violation that, that we've seen in a long time. If we corporately, as an international community, agree that yes, this is true, then we'd have to do something about it. So they want to try to say, oh, no, 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 it's really not that bad. The Taliban are going to bring stability, a complete and total joke. No, they're not. No, they're not. So, what else? What was this one? Oh, yeah, and it was just, we, we set up the former Afghan government to fail so that the Taliban could take over. And that those secret annexes should be revealed. I mean, this is just um, inexcusable that they haven't been. Oh, and so then, this is the other thing. So, there was an article, I think this is in the New York Times, I have a link to it in the in the article that I'm publishing for this this stream. But this is a basically trying to garner sympathy for the Taliban that they're being uh, locked. Their accounts are being locked out from WhatsApp. So Meta is if they rec if they can tell that there are Taliban accounts, they lock them out. And so this article is talking about they were planning a strike supposedly against ISIS-K, but they had to they communicate by WhatsApp and they couldn't do that. And so they couldn't do their raid properly because they had been blocked out of WhatsApp. So we're supposed to feel sorry for the Taliban because they can't do their raid. As I said, they most of the time on that, they're not, uh, they're not terrorists that they're going after their Afghan allies that they're tracking down and killing. So good for Meta that they're, they're uh, locking them out. So anyway, a lot of people still trying to blow smoke and just makes me, oh no, this isn't that bad. It is. It is bad. The uh, withdrawal was a complete debacle. The Doha deal was no deal at all. It was, I, I honestly, I, it blows my mind. And again, I realize that this is 2021. Um, we've just gone through an insurrection. We have traitors in Congress, uh, it, former traitors in the White House. We had a pandemic going on that nothing had been prepared for vaccine distribution. I realized that there was a lot of stuff going on, but um, at some point you have to take responsibility for this. This is the, the withdrawal was a debacle. And um, the... The fallout from that, there are going to be long-term repercussions, and so we need to start realizing that. And the least we can do is come through on our promises to our allies 
that we said we would help and bring out. And I said this last time, and I'm going to say it again, that this one of the justifications for not passing the Afghan Adjustment Act or not moving more quickly is that they're afraid that um, terrorists may come, you know, some there may be terrorist infiltrators. Okay, the people who have these SIV applications were people that worked uh, alongside um, U.S. military and contractors. There was a lot of vetting that went in on the front end. And so if you're saying that you didn't know who was working in our offices and with our military all that time, then that is a bigger problem. That's just not even the thing. It's just another excuse for people to not do uh, what we should. So um, as far as our people were, this is crazy. Oh, this is something I just found out this morning. This is somebody that um, I've talked uh, talked to a little bit, um, not necessarily in our group, but he was saying, he, he wants to go to Brazil. And he was saying, can you help me get a Brazilian visa? I said, well, the thing about going to Brazil is that there's no, I've mentioned this before, there's no formal support for refugees in Brazil. They have no resettlement system. So they they do have an open door policy, but the uh, if they if they go there to Brazil on a humanitarian visa, they have to guarantee that they can support themselves. So getting from um, getting out of Pakistan is actually the least of their worries. They have to be able to support themselves while they're there. Um, if they don't have, they don't know Portuguese, it's they're pretty not not pretty much not going to be able to get a job. And so the person that um, I came in contact with that has done that, that has resettled 1,500 people. Um, he created, he had to create a whole resettlement structure in Brazil for them to get to move people from you know, start to finish from wherever they're at, either in Afghanistan or in Pakistan, to, to get in Brazil and to be settled in, um, and launched, it averages between eight and eleven thousand dollars per person, and that includes whatever they need to be able to get them to a Brazilian embassy, to get them out of the airport, to you know, getting in place, getting getting housing, you know, support for the you know for living for a year, language classes, job, um, job, help with job placement and stuff. And so I said, do you have, this person was asking me this morning, um, I said, do you have like an organization or company that could sponsor your resettlement? Because that is what this guy that's moved all these people to Brazil, that's what they did. They used to do business in Afghanistan. They had pulled out seven years before and they felt a, um, you know, even though they had, weren't even doing business at the time, they felt a moral obligation to getting their people to safety, and that's why they started this. They were only out of like 434, they were only able to get 79 people out in um, the airport in August of 2021. And so after that, they had to find a way to move everybody else, and that became this path. And they had other organizations that came to them, asked them for help with their people. They have raised they raised all the money. The Afghans did not pay for it. They personally, you know, asked for donations, and it was private individuals that paid for the cost to be able to move them. But that is what they did because, you know, they weren't just going to leave them out hanging to dry. So, and and they're willing to help other people move, but they just, you know, it takes money to do all these things, and so an organization wants people move, they have to bring the money for them to move them. So anyway, I said, do you know, does your former company, will they, will they do this? And he said, no. He said, I came to Pakistan by myself. I'm getting no support for them. Basically, like I've heard this so many times, so many times from so many different agencies that have just ghosted their people. And I, and he was a direct, he was a direct employee of this organization. And you want to know who he worked for? He worked for the Norwegian Refugee Council. Can you even believe that? And he's basically saying, hey, sorry, see ya. So I don't know. I'm going to um, 
he's supposed to be getting me his supervisor's uh, email address and I'm going to send him an email because sometimes I realize it may seem like we don't even know how to move people, but maybe I'm hoping that if they know that there is a path for them um, to safety, that maybe they'll step up and do something. But <laughs> yeah, an employee of the Norwegian Refugee Council has had no help, but a barber has found a, uh, a way to get a UNE Sheriff's referral to Germany. So anyway, it's crazy. It's, you never know who is going to um, be your, the right connection. So anyway, I think I'm going to wrap it up. Um, again, um, we are going to be, hopefully, when Phase 2 Welcome Corps, we're going to be hopefully able to get some of our people on that path. If you'd like to help some of our people out, um, and send me a message at contact at racetowalk.org. Also, if you'd like to donate, you can go to um, johnshareministries.org and select Race to Walk to donate. And if you need help with a translation for anything, such as, uh, let's say, we have people that know Pashtu, Dari, uh, Farsi, and Urdu, um, I have translators, and they need work. So let me know. But anyway, um, I'm going to call it a week. And uh, I hope you have a good, not only have a good week coming up, but also that you're able to get, do some good. So talk to you next time.